Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Wise Words, the show where we talk to the world's leading minds in education and beyond. This is Basim Hijazi, producer of the show, and this time we're trying something a little different. We've invited four esteemed guests representing Karanga, the Global Alliance for Social Emotional Learning and Life Skills, to discuss why social emotional learning is more important than ever in today's world. Now, usually we feature around one to three guests per episode, but we thought given how we've been doing a lot of remote podcasts lately, it would be a great opportunity to try something new. And we think it worked quite well. Do let us know what you think. It's always great to hear your thoughts. And be sure to subscribe to Wise Words if you haven't done so already on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your preferred podcast app. Now let's switch to host and CEO of Wise, Stavros Yunuka, to introduce our esteemed panel and kick off the show. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Stavros Yanuka, CEO of WISE, welcoming you back for another episode of WISE Words. Today, I am joined by an unprecedented for WISE Words uh, uh, podcast for guests. Um, it's, it's my pleasure to welcome uh, Jennifer Adams, the chair of the OECD study on social emotional skills in Canada, Joan McEachin, uh, and I hope I pronounced that correctly, the founder and CEO of the Learning First project in New Zealand, uh, Luca Parry, a returning guest to this podcast, the founder and CEO of the Learning Future in Australia, and last but by no means least, Dominic Register, program director at Salzburg Global Seminar in Austria. Now, together, they make up the executive committee of Karanga, which is a global alliance dedicated to making the case for the adoption of social, emotional learning and life skills across the globe. Jennifer, Joanne, Dominic, it's a pleasure to have you on uh, on the podcast. And Luca, uh, a warm welcome back to Wise Words. It's a pleasure to be here. So Dominic, maybe I'll, I'll start with you because sort of Karanga was, was born out of um, Salzburg Global Seminar. Uh, in December 2018, if uh, if I'm not mistaken, can you tell us a little bit more about the the initiative and what you know what the main goals are, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about you know uh, maybe some of the progress that you guys have made over the last two or so years. Yeah, happily. Thanks, Davros. It's great to be here. Um, so. Salzburg Global Seminar is an independent nonprofit organization based in Salzburg in Austria. Um, we we're a strategic convening organization and convene around a wide range of different topics, um, one of which is education. And from 2016, we'd focused a lot of our education efforts on social and emotional learning. Um, we'd really started that with a, a supply and demand hypothesis, looking at why social and emotional learning had the potential to become such a major, significant global education reform initiative. And what we'd found was that on the demand side, there were all sorts of different entry points into the education reform conversation from stakeholders who were looking to bring about significant change in how education systems are managed and the outcomes that they achieve. So there's a really compelling economic argument thinking about the skills for the fourth industrial revolution, the skills that the workforce of tomorrow will need. There's a really compelling mental health argument responding to something like the World Health Organization 2016 report that says by 2030, depression will be the single largest cause of adolescent disability and illness worldwide. There's a compelling education equity argument and many, many other points into the system, into the conversation. Um, so all these different demand side stimuli. Um, 
what we found on the supply side was that in conversation with ministries of education, um, development banks, UN agencies, and other significant stakeholders, that there were three reasonably universal supply side blockages that were preventing education systems from really leaning in to social and emotional learning. So there were a set of um, challenges around teacher preparation and adult understanding of the topic and the absence of SEL from the vast majority of in or pre-service teacher development programs. Separately, um, significant set of challenges around curriculum design and how do you weave SEL into existing curricula when they're organized around single subject silos. And thirdly, around the assessment and the measurement of, of SEL progress. Um, so what we'd been trying to do with Salts with the Salzburg programs was bring together people who had really interesting insights to share, either from a research perspective, perspective or a policy perspective, or from a practitioner perspective. Let them share what they were working on and why it was working in their contexts, and then um, create the space for them to talk about the challenges that they were running up against, and think about collectively how we could move the needle globally on some of these, you know, particularly these three big challenges. And the 2018 program was a, a sort of global synthesis program. So we had some amazing practitioners leading great SEL work from a policy perspective, from a research perspective, um, coming together. And one of whom was Karen Nimi, who's the president of CASEL, the Collaborative for Academic Social and Emotional Learning in the US. And you know, part, partly inspired by the success that CASEL have had creating an SEL ecosystem in the US, we started to think about how that might be replicated at a global level and how could we take some of the work that Salzburg was doing and expand it and make it more universally accessible. And it was really from that starting point that the idea for Karanga came. No, that's, that, that's great. I mean, there's, there's, there's a bit to, you know, quite a bit to unpack there. So, I mean, let, let, me, let me start by, you know, by asking maybe a, a rather trite question, but do do we have a definition of what social emotional learning is? I mean, is is there a universally accepted term that you know when when you approach sort of the education community, they can they automatically understand what it is that you're you're talking? I don't, I don't know who who wants to to pick pick that up. Maybe maybe Jennifer. You know, kind of is there a kind of OECD accepted definition of the term? I think uh, there's a, a general understanding of what are the different components of social-emotional learning. And uh, Stavros, as you said, the OECD has just completed a study, the first ever study, international study on social-emotional learning. And um, they did a, a massive look into the research as far as what were the different frameworks that were being used. And they built uh, their study based on the big five um, components those components are task performance, emotional regulation, collaboration, open-mindedness, engaging with others. So it was built, built on those five buckets of, of competencies. And I think when you look at the work that uh, Stephanie Jones has done out of Harvard, uh, the easel work, there are a number of frameworks. And I think what we have to do is not get tripped up on the individual labels of each of the subcategories, mm -hmm. but really think of those overall buckets. And uh, I think the other component that was very built into the OECD study is the research that clearly shows that social emotional skills and academic skills together are what will help our students move forward, not just in school, but when they go into the workplace and when they are in their home lives and in their communities. So I think it's around those major buckets and uh, we're moving forward with that. 
Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's that's true. I mean, if we were to summarize, would, would you would you agree with the term? You know that it, that it's ultimately about understanding and maybe managing is not not the right term, but I can't think of a better one right now. But understanding and managing yourself and understanding and managing relationships. Would that absolutely, be a, 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 absolutely a that. Yeah. That term Stavros of, of social and emotional, the emotional part is is an inward look. And so yeah. it's that idea of self-identity, self-regulation, being able to manage yourself, understanding who you are. And the second mm-hmm. part is the social. And so absolutely, that's built on relationships mm-hmm. and how we relate to others and how we, how we think of other people, how we show empathy and understanding, etc. So it's a combination of those two things that come together to, to make up social mm-hmm. emotional skills. I, I also want to pick up on what, you know, what, 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 one other thing that Dominic, that stood out from, um, from sort of Dominic's introduction, and that's this idea of an ecosystem. A sort of mm. social emotional learning ecosystem. I don't know who wants to, to pick up on that, but I mean, what what are the sort of components of that, and what what does it look like if if we were to sort of just describe it for folks? Lukai, you, you want to? I'll have a, I'll have a crack at that. I, I think what's interesting is when we think about if we think about the metaphor that we use, for example, you know, as we move from kind of the mechanistic worldviews where everything is compartmentalized, segmented and measured and managed into this kind of organic metaphor. And, you know, um, we've, we've had lots of really wonderful communicators talk about this. And so when we think about the ecosystem, you know, we kind of are making quite arbitrary decisions about subjects, for example, mm-hmm. um, or stages of schooling or scopes and sequence or curricula generally. And so the idea around the ecosystem is that we should consider a very human-centered approach where we should look at all of the different factors that support the growth and development of a human being, of a young person or an adult for that matter, any learner, and think ecologically. You know, think about rather than saying what are the metrics or what are the levers we pull or the cogs in the system, we should perhaps say what are the conditions, what are the preconditions, what are the conditions that we need to put in place that enable kind of the emergence of learning as opposed to kind of driving learning. I mean, I, I started in a classroom and I started my career as an educator. I hope to finish as an educator. Um, and for me, it was always interesting. You know, I would have an amazing lesson where I was teaching. Of course, the question was, well, did anyone learn anything? And it's that division, I think, that's really interesting. And so the best frameworks and, you know, to, to Jen and Dominic's points, there's this, this good insight that all models are wrong, but some are useful you know, as the statisticians would say. And so every model, however, as soon as we start to draw a line, it starts to become flawed. And the, the really excellent work of the Ezel Lab at Harvard has really been deconstructing the entire field of social, emotional and cognitive learning. Um, so the idea of thinking ecologically, like how, how are we supporting communities, parents and caregivers? How are we mm-hmm. looking at janitorial staff and paraprofessionals within the school? You know, really everyone needs to be a part of a really powerful culture where we're looking at programs that amplify and elevate social and emotional alongside cognitive, but also practices. And that, in my view, is the gold standard, is to go have talk about an ecological model, which Castle's model is, and many of the other frameworks are. They, they consider you know, the broader, not just about what happens at school, it's about what happens in the life of us human beings, but the life of a learner in particular, when we look at the way we support learners into this quite uncertain world. And I've resisted from saying, you know, the word that shall not be named as we find ourselves in this, the midst of this global challenge at the moment. But, you know, it really just shows. Mention that word. 
<laughs> exactly. So, so that, that's my, I think that's the, the interesting piece is how might we, as a challenge question, in whatever vantage point we have in the ecosystem, think ecologically. It's not enough just to think about one intervention. We need to think about all of the conditions that either support and enable or disempower and create barriers to the development of our young people across our world. Yeah, go, go ahead. Thanks, Jarvis. I was just thinking it's so exciting because by being part of this community, we're learning from each other about what works in different parts of the world. And I think for such a long time, we've, we've just been, we've been focusing on certain parts of the world as holding all of the information and the knowledge. And being part of this community and this ecosystem, we're starting to see different voices and we're starting to hear from different parts of the world that have real strengths and knowledge in how to work as a community, how to work as an ecosystem and understand how to be in, in relationship with each other. In particular, our Indigenous people, our people of uh, places in, in the global south whom we haven't heard a lot from before. So we're starting to be able to glean knowledge from these parts of the world that are part of our team now that are, are really sharing their knowledge with us that we haven't heard from before, which creates a whole new place for place of learning for understanding for us, which to me is a really, really exciting part of this work. No, that's, that's great. Should we, should we um, maybe talk a little bit about some of the progress that you guys have made in, I guess it's, you know, four and two, and two years, maybe, you know, four years since Salzburg initiated the, uh, the work and then, two, you know, two, two years since the establishment of, of Karanga. What, how, how do you feel you you've done in this in this time period and then then what you know what what remains i guess or, or what's next rather than what remains and Trivers, there's a lot that remains to be done but what what's kind of the main what are some of the obstacles that you've been facing maybe let's let's start let's talk progress and obstacles we really i mean so the the seed for the idea was planted at the december program in 2018 and then we all got together in april of 2019 and started to map out how the alliance could function and who we wanted to invite in the first wave of, of kind of, um, of opening it up to, to, to building out and having this, you know, these global voices. And then the first time that we spoke publicly about it was at the, um, European, um, uh, what's that? At the NSEC, the, um, NSEC conference in Budapest in August mm -hmm. 2019. And I think, you know, between, August 2019 and March of this year, um, we were present at a lot of um, global convenings or conferences. Um, WISE invited us and we were a knowledge partner for the summit in, in November last year and convened a panel discussion. And we were testing the idea um, and I suppose the need of a global alliance with as many different stakeholders as possible. Um, so we ran a series of um, the Doha Learning Days just before Wise as Karanga. Uh, we ran a number of masterclasses at the ICSI conference in Marrakesh at the start of this year. Um, and then one of the things, one, I think one of the ways where the pandemic really impacted on how we were thinking about getting the message out there was at the very start of the pandemic, we started to convene our own online events, looking at social emotional learning and, and its relevance and application um, during all the disruption and chaos that was emerging back in March of this year. And I think that that idea, so the, you know, the the interest and the the um the number of people willing to contribute or participate in what have now become quarterly online SEL um, convenings has grown considerably in that time. And the number of people contacting us to see how they can support the work or be involved or be part of the steering committee and help shape the direction is increasing month on month, which is is in some ways you know a valediction of the original idea that there's definitely interest and need for this. So we you know we are in the middle this week of an SEL 
festival that this podcast is, you know, is in some ways part of. So we've had a number of different programs organized by different steering committee members at different, um, in different parts of the world this week. Tomorrow, we're hosting a panel discussion about SEL and global challenges as part of the C20 uh, summit taking place this week as well. So looking at the application of SEL beyond education. And then that, that program will continue throughout this year and into 2021. So we're launching um, on the 26th of October. We're part of a new research initiative looking at the relationship between culture and social and emotional learning in the countries around the Mediterranean. Um, we'll have another of our own online convenings in December. Um, and we'll continue to advocate in that way. Because I suppose, this, you know, it's worth saying that the way we've tried to curate the work that we hope Karanga can do falls quite nicely into four interconnected work streams. So there's the global advocacy for social yeah. and emotional learning. There's the research component to it. And, you know, p- particularly, you know, the, one of the challenges with SEL up until this point has been that the really successful programs are very, very context specific. So it's mm-hmm. difficult to have a kind of one size fits all approach. So looking at the adaptation of interventions that we know have, we know have had positive effects in one context and how can they be translated into different contexts. Um, there's the, the global community part of it and helping to create a more connected community of educators at any stage in their respective systems who are all pulling in the same direction to look at more social and emotional learning. And then there's the curation of resources and what do we know works and how can we help spread the word about them more widely. Um, so the, the online convenings, I suppose, speak to the advocacy piece and the connected community piece. Yeah. And then there's other work that we're looking to initiate, like, like the research project in the Mediterranean. To what extent, I mean, it sounds to me like COVID has acted a little bit catalytically for you almost, right? Because at least what we've been hearing and, and, and through the convenings we've done jointly, Dominic, we've, we've heard a lot of, a lot of people emphasizing that really what, you know, what stands out in this environment is a real need for, you know, social, you know, emotional learning, even in terms of how, you know, how do you cope with, you know, with, with the current disruption and, I'd be curious, Joanne, maybe, you know, maybe your organization, I mean, how, how have you approached, you know, social emotional learning through your sort of programming during this, you know, this um, particularly challenging period? Um, we've, we've, what we've done is we've taken a really hard look at what are the supports and tools that we can create for people. And we've worked on what's called the contribution curriculum and taken a really hard look at how do we help people in schools um, and at home and parents. So I've created a, a, a set of tools that help people to use at home, at school, online, um, in, a, in a hybrid model. So we're taking a look at four different outcomes that sort of really support the social and emotional learning. So the first one is um, look self-understanding, knowing who you are, how you fit into the world and how you can contribute to humanity. The second one is connection. How do you connect yourself, your family, your community, the wider world, and know your purpose for being? Uh, next is knowledge. What is the knowledge that you need to be your person and how do you get that knowledge and what, what sort of um, knowledge do you need? And the last one is what are the competencies you need to learn and return to the world? And I think what we've done is created a, a little toolkit for teachers to use that they can send either home in a hard, hard, a hard package of paper 
They can send it online. They can do it um, over the telephone. They can do it in text models, things like that. And I think what we've done is tried to find different ways of connecting with people. And I think in the past, we've just assumed there's one way of doing things. But what, what this has done is given us a whole different way of thinking about how do we connect with people. And one of the biggest things we've learned is that that relationship between home and school is so critical. And it's that, that caring between each other and that having those connections. So being able to have tools that enable us to talk, to connect, to make sure that we've got that social and emotional, um, first of all, that, that sort of progression of learning across. And then secondly, how do we enable that and have, have tools to implement that to make sure that we've got tools and systems and processes to do that. And also the second thing we've done is that every tool I've ever made now, we also have available for adults first. Mm-hmm. I think what we've also understood is that our adults are under great stress too. So if we have tools that are available for them to have a look at themselves first, then be able to use those with the students. That's what we're seeing a huge change as well, because they've been under more stress than we've ever, we've ever, ever anyone has ever been. You know, this has been bigger for all of us as well. So if we yeah. give them some support first, then they can then help their students in whatever circumstances they're in too. So mm-hmm. I guess those are sort of the two sort of biggest areas that we've really been able to do some work in supporting people in. And they've been used in multiple countries now, and that seem to be getting seem to be getting in to help people to lift the levels of engagement with each other and relationship with each other. Yeah, I guess again, you know, the the, the pandemic has really shown a spotlight, you know, on on the importance really of the home environment, right? Because mm. I mean, suddenly the home, you know, is isn't just a place you end up in after school. It, That's right. You know, it's also the school. And, and, you know, again, I think, you know, sort of more, maybe more traditional cultures have, mm. have sort of long understood the, you know, if you will, that, you know, that there isn't such a big separation of home, you know, home and school as, as perhaps, you know, again, I don't want to use the word advanced, but, you know, this thing more, more individualistic cultures have sort of, you know, drawn that, that sort of fine distinction. And again, I, I wonder to what extent you find, you know, parental engagement has, improved you know during this time or or you know what, what was that do you see a change in in attitudes towards yeah. your your what you're advocating for i think we finally I, i've always believed that parents are the biggest i call it the biggest untapped workforce for education in the world I mean, I think that if we can really understand and accept that parents can help their children because they know their children better than anyone else and they care about their children more than anyone else. Yeah. So if we can get their engagement into education, that's the best thing. They have to be, we have to be allow them to be real partners, which means when they give us information about their students, we have to take that and use that to help our students to learn. So what I think we've seen now is that, that by engaging them and providing them with tools to actually help them to, to, to work with their students in the learning sphere that's that's given us a huge advantage, but secondly, I think Stavros, you've got it's, it's the right the 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 idea that they actually know what they need for their students for their children as well. We've had kind of the assumption that the teachers know best all of the time, but actually, when we look at the um, you know the cultural identity, parents know better about that than some teachers do. So we have to actually mm. say who's who, who's got the set of knowledge that we want to, to to look at here, and how do we marry that together to find out how do we ha- what's best for that learner. So it's actually taking a little bit of lead from either side and bringing it together yeah. and saying what's going to be best for our kids. And let's look at some of our, some of our um, cultural identities, our language, our 
identity and see what's going to, what's going to work for our particular children. And looking at our um, ancient knowledge, our, our histories, and bringing this all together and swirling it together and deciding, okay, together what's going to work for this particular child mm-hmm. and our community. And I think that this has been a time that's really enabled us to, to respect each other's identities and knowledge around some of these areas. Mm-hmm. And it's been such, a, to me, it's been a really magical time in that sense. To quickly add to that, uh, I, I think this has reiterated that learning is not a place, it's an activity. And parents, you know, all over the world have been closer to that learning process that typically would have occur, you know, occurred at school. And so, I mean, it just, it just shows us very clearly the distinction between schooling, education and learning and learning being a human act that's impossible not to take part in, whereas schooling being kind of an institutional model and a system that really many of us have been talking about for a long time, including the late Sir Ken Robinson, you know, that, who died last month, you know, really was based in a past paradigm. And so the question is, how do we use this moment, the Overton window being thrust open, where all, you know, far more things are considered feasible um, you know, we've seen the most rapid shift in ways of working. And I mean, educators overwhelmingly have done phenomenally well in to be able to keep learning going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also to think, and this links to the earlier question, Stavros, to think ecologically. You know, really it's now, as, as Joanne has said, it's that relationship between parent, learner and teacher that becomes even more important as somewhat of a tripod, you know, where you can have all these, all these elements working um, in play. The other thing that I think is really interesting that we should pay attention to is, is the role of agency. Because at, at just as, you know, all these things have been shut down, a lot of agency has actually been increased on the learners, where if they're in a remote learning environment, they can kind of make choices. Um, choices that it's far hard, harder to be compliant in a, in a Zoom call, like this one, for example, right? Um, so I think that's a really interesting um, theme to explore further as well. Yeah, no, and, and look, I mean, I think you, you raise a couple of, and both of you raised a couple of really interesting, um, interesting points. I think, yes, I think, you know, the an appreciation of the role of parents has, has certainly been, um, if you will, a silver lining of, 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 you know, of what's been going on. But, but equally, I think, you know, parents have now really begun to appreciate just how difficult a job teaching is right yeah when when they've had to sort of bring their um you, you know try to teach their you know one two or, or three or however many or you know in our colleagues asma's case five kids yeah. um you know they, they realize just what a challenge you know it is you know let, let alone having to manage you know a classroom of you know 20 30 30 um uh, children so yeah, this you know, and again, I you know, this this sort of mutual appreciation of of the contributions and roles that that each uh, uh, stakeholder in this process uh, can play is is I I hope something that will carry with us. Um, several, several yeah, Go ahead, Jennifer. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to jump in. My background is K to twelve. I um, I was the chief superintendent for the school district in Ottawa for eight years. And I can tell you that my colleagues are having exactly those conversations. You know, how do we take this opportunity? You're right. You know, there was kind of a, a forced marriage in a way, in the sense that suddenly parents yeah. had that very primary role in at least guiding um, education in cooperation with their their children's teachers. And I think there's a real will to say, great, we've had a, a, a really 
shift and how do we capitalize on that and, and keep that relationship between school and home continuing on. I think one of the things that we have to acknowledge is that, and one of the things that my colleagues have noticed is that the inequities that we always knew were there for children are coming to the forefront. And part of that has to do with you know, the ability for parents to be able to be engaged in their child's uh, learning. And we knew that far before the pandemic, that one of the critical factors for children to be successful and happy in schooling is that parental relationship with their learning. Are they able to engage with their children's learning? And we know that based on some financial pressures, based on two parents working from home and trying to guide education, um, Parents that are just not able to to connect with their children's learning, particularly at this time, those inequities are are coming to the forefront. And and you know, in a way, I think that's a good thing. That means that all of us have the opportunity and the responsibility to say, can we be doing things differently to support families so that all children have that connection to learning in school, in the formal education, as Luca pointed out, as well as in their home environment. Yeah, no, that's 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 a very good. Very good point that you, you bring up, uh, Jennifer. And, and you know, I mean, that, you know, even the sort of the education. Anyway, we've known for a while now that the you know one of the the most reliable predictors of academic success is the academic uh, attainment of the parents. And and I think this has sort of you know highlighted highlighted that in a you know in a very stark way. And and you know, again, I think one of the interventions that we ought to be thinking about going forward is how do we, you know, how do we raise the, the capacity of certain parents or, you know, how do we provide support, you know, for, for those who, for whatever reason, you know, economic, social, you know, are just not able to provide that, the same level of, of, of support. It gets at that, that concept of partnership and uh, the home and school partnership. And it gets at the concept of you know the 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 ecosystem where it takes a village to raise a child and yeah. how do we engage the community individual families the community supporting families as well as the school system supporting mm -hmm. families so that all of us are working together to look at not only the learning aspect but also the well-being aspect because yeah. that well-being aspect again that's another great thing <laughs> if you can say anything good about a pandemic it has become very obvious that it's not just the learning part of schooling that is important. It's learning and well-being together. And I think that's where that natural link is back to social and emotional learning. And that's why the work of Karanga is so important right now. I think if we add, if we add to that, we sort of see, see that how we're looking at the whole system to us is that when students are actually starting to be able to show who they are and show what they know in their own particular way, then we're starting to see a big difference in the confidence and the understanding of their learning, if they could show that in the way that they choose to show it, instead of a particular way that's been pre-mandated pre by an organisation that maybe not doesn't reflect who they are, that's starting to show a difference for our students and their, their well-being. So I think a little bit of a shift and a tweak in our systems as well, that makes a big difference for our students. So we're seeing a, a difference in parents' engagement, we're seeing a difference in the cultural understanding of who our kids are, if they can share information in their identity, language and culture in their way, then we start to see a whole rise in everybody. So it does make a difference in how the system perceives the students too. It's really striking how, you know, it feels like there is a, you know, this realisation or this understanding is happening in almost every country. 
at the moment because of, you know, almost everybody was affected by school closures and school shutdown and the pandemic is one of those really unusual shared negative experiences that affects us all in different ways. Um, but it does mean there is a, a kind of collective exercise of rethinking or as we had it in the joint series that we did, reimagining education. Mm-hmm. It was re- really striking in that series how many of the different speakers reference social and emotional learning as one of the key tenets of education that they, they've come to appreciate more during school closure and they want to keep hold of and you know, use to stop us slipping back into how schools yeah. operated in January of this year or previously. I, I want to pick up on something that, uh, that, that Luca mentioned in, in his um, last intervention, which is around this, this question of agency and, and really just ask you guys to what extent that, you know, the, some of the work done by, by the likes of, of Angela Duckworth around, you know, around this, this notion of, of sort of grit, how, how much does that feed into your, your work? Because again, this is, this is one of those moments, I guess, where, you know, those learners who are, you know, for, for whatever reason, equipped to, to to manage their own learning will, you know, will do much better than those who who need to be guided. And so, so to what extent are you, are you guys trying to sort of unpack what goes into that? You know, some people call it motivation, others call it, you know, call it grit, but, you know, that, that self, um, you know, self-motivation, self uh Actualization. Uh, actualization. Yeah, I'll, I'll have an attempt first, but I'm sure my colleagues will have other things to add. I, I love this sentiment by Carl Jung. And he says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it, uh, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. And so mm-hmm. really it's kind of about drawing. And this is why I think, you know, we could go back to, well, I could go back to my Greek roots, Stavros, yours, and talk about, you know, really it's, it's know thyself, really at kind of the foundation of all of this mm-hmm. work. And so when we look at different models, be it emotional intelligence and Professor Mark Brackett's work or Angela um, Duckworth's work with grit, they are all fantastic as well. Um, but, you know, if all emotions are information, I do wonder about grit, just like lots of other things, as being just directed at the individual. When I think mm-hmm. jo- Jojo and Janet both picked up the idea of what, what about the system? What's the role? What's the responsibility yeah. of the system? Because, you know, the end of the line with that argument is, if you, didn't, if you didn't survive the pandemic, it's because you weren't gritty enough. And I fundamentally reject that notion. Yeah. You know, really, it might, it's, we have to look at all the facts. We have to look, sorry to say it, ecologically once more at all of the different factors that are impacting yeah. on a young person's learning journey and, frankly, on any of our learning journeys. So I really think about this agency piece, I think, is the thing that we should definitely pay more attention to. If we can enable our young people to powerfully choose their path forward, all the better. And right now, I mean, we really do have an engagement crisis in schooling and we have had for decades, you know, where you have these, you know, just we aren't tapping into the incredible potential that young people show up with. And it's not because as educators, we aren't trying very hard to support them to succeed. It's sometimes because our mental models potentially aren't aren't in service of the highest expressions of of self or of human mm-hmm. flourishing and thrivability and these interesting new concepts i mean i think definitely in the zeitgeist at the moment is this idea of thriving as from positive psychology and martin yeah. seligman's work and others so 
But I really wonder if this can be the moment we can try to, you know, hardwire these things in two systems by elevating the social and the emotional alongside the cognitive. We're not saying let's not do academics. What we're saying is they've taken precedence for too long. And we know now industry are telling us very clearly, the World Economic Forum, you know, Institute for the Future are saying, really, it's these other types of capabilities that we need to have centralized. And, you know, yes, high quality content, but always, you know, mixed in with dispositions and skills. Um, so that would be my kind of quick reflection. Stavros, just to, to jump in two quick comments. Uh, really interesting that you picked those two uh, elements because actually the OECD study that's coming out, the results that are coming out uh, uh, in the new year, actually look at, I, I mentioned that they looked at five uh, basic buckets. In addition to that, there were two other elements that they look at, and it's motivation and self-efficacy. So mm-hmm. we will have some information from nine different countries that have participated to see how those two elements play out. I think it'll be really interesting. Second thing is just from my background in, in K-12, and this concept of, of, of agency is absolutely connected to the pedagogical practices that are used in the classroom. And yeah. about a decade ago, we really started talking about and we really noticed that when students are engaged in their learning, the, the, the performance escalates massively, but also their sense of well-being does as well. And so that push towards um, giving student choices, making sure that they are the masters of their learning, that they are able to, you know, the combination of interdisciplinary approaches, where instead of having, you know, 60 minutes of mathematics and 60 minutes of science and 60 minutes of, of language, that teachers would get together and have an interdisciplinary approach so that students were actually loving what they're doing. And that makes a difference. So that idea of agency, I think we've been working on that for the last decade. And I think systems around the world are starting to think about what would inclusive pedagogies look like? What would pedagogies look like where students have a say in how they learn and what they learn and in how they demonstrate their learning? And Joanne talked about uh, this idea of assessment of a real huge shift has to happen in assessment to make sure that we're actually measuring the things that we value now. And I'd take it even a step further, and I'd say that agency at each layer of the system. I talk about whenever I work with a whole system that there are three areas that we're talking about. One is the conditions that we're, that we're working in, and that's agency for the teachers as well. And, and for the, and the people within the system, because I talk about a dissonance that's within us all at the moment, because we're doing things we might not necessarily uh, uh, know are the right things to do, but we feel pressured to do this because that's the way it's always been. And so part of our work, I think, is to enable that, that, that agency within us all to say, okay, let's do the things that we know are the right things to do to make sure we go on the right track. So there's the, there's the sort of the agency within uh, uh, conditions that we, we're working in. The second area is around, the design. Do we have the right sets of tools to help us design? And do we have the agency to be able to do that and have the courage to be able to do those things? And do we do we know whether we're doing it right? And also being able to assess that and measure that. Are we doing the right things? And then the last one is the outcomes. And do we have that, that do we have the those those outcomes right? And are we measuring those and assessing those in the right ways? And again, there is agency within that. Do we have permission? to do that? Do we feel we've got permission to do that? Because that takes leadership and agency within leadership. So there's a lot of things that we've kind of, we've got the lid on a lot of things at the moment in different systems, but part of our work is to help us feel okay about taking some of these risks, that we feel are risks, but actually they're not because they're about helping humanity to get 
um, to feel better, to be better, to be a better human being. But it's really about having the agency and the courage to take those steps. So agency is a beautiful word if we think about it in the ways that we're talking about in this conversation. I mean, this this could this could get you know um, very philosophical very very quickly <laughs> because you know you, you're, you're touching on you know issues around you know around free will and 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 you know which you know in in the sort of the the scientific literature is 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 shall we say de- debatable, right? Just to put it. Sort of very generously, but I'm kind of I'm hearing a couple of things that I think are are interesting. One is yes, this this idea of agency as we we understand it as as essentially you know you can call it empowerment or you know you can use some other other labels. This idea of choice and choices and and being able to to sort of manage and lead your own learning. But I think you guys are are, are coming at it you know in, in a way that I think recognizes. Um, the importance of of ecosystem and, and 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 systems more broadly in you know in creating the boundary conditions within which you you can practice what limited form of of agency you you know you you really have but also i think the importance of you know of 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 the realization that we're all in, in some way in you know in many ways interconnected and we influence each other and and you know the sort of you know the classroom environment. You know, you know can be can be friendly, can be accommodating, or you know, or it can be quite hostile. It can be quite, um, and all of those things. You know, um, and we talked about the home as well, right? All of those things influence, and you know, and, and create boundaries around which you know, the extent you have agency, you you, you practice it. So no, it's it's really encouraging to hear to to, to hear all this and. Maybe Dominic, let's come back to you now. Maybe talk a little bit about what's you know what's coming next for Karanga and and what you know what are your hopes and and, and aspirations for the coming you know coming twelve or so months. So we've got a number of activities that we're either partnering in or, or helping to organise or leading. Um, I'm excited about the the SEL and the Mediterranean research study because it's looking at the relationship between culture. And social and emotional learning in, you know, in the 23 very different countries and territories that border the Mediterranean. So that's an exciting new um, dynamic to our work, I suppose. I think you know th- there's such an interesting window of opportunity at the moment because there is significant more interest in social and emotional learning than there has been in the recent past. I think, and and that kind of relationship between all the different um, organizations or stakeholders who recognize that we need to shift what happens in the classroom and how we use the time in the classroom and that kind of alignment with the sorts of skills and behaviors and competences that social emotional learning programs um, can help develop. So we're you know really keen to double down on the advocacy work um, and provide more support where we can to policymakers or researchers or practitioners who want to go deeper into the social emotional learning space so that we can you know ride that wave at the moment and help um, help you know the, the interest in the topic translate into reform that sticks and to changes in classroom practice, changes in what the system recognizes and values. Um, and you know, as as Jojo and the others have said, how we can support all students to go on and thrive. Folks, this has been um, really a, a, a terrific conversation, I think uh, a successful experiment in having, you know, having this sort of five-way discussion and i think we'll you know we'll try and repeat it again um i, I want to wish you guys the very best and, and say that it's it's been a pleasure for wise 
to be also part of you know part of the uh, uh, the work that the, that you guys um, are doing. I think it is critically uh, important. And and again, the past um, nine or so months have have amply demonstrated why um, social and emotional learning really needs to you know form the uh, the centerpiece of, of our education efforts. So, you know, love to have you guys back, you know, maybe, you know, six to 12 months from now and, 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 you know, pick up on this conversation. I mean, I feel we could have gone for, you know, at least another 45 minutes, but <laughs> we, we may have ended up just talking to each other <laughs> and, and lost, you know, some of our audience, but, but again, thank you uh, very much. And thank you to, uh, the audience for tuning in. Um, don't forget to check out all the links that uh, have been shared today for resources on social emotional learning. And of course, to learn more about uh, Karanga. If you enjoyed uh, this episode of Wise Words, please don't forget to like this post uh, and also to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whichever your preferred Apple platform is. Um, Once again, Joanna, Jennifer, Luca, and Dominic, thank you for being on Wise Words. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It was our pleasure.